0: By the way, we'll be in Titus chapter two. If you want to turn there, if you need a Bible, uh, just raise your hand. We'll get you one. Can you hear me? We're on now. How about you in the back? No, back can't hear. How about now? Crank it up. All right. This is me at about a quarter level. When I get jacked up, I start screaming. Okay, Titus chapter two. Anybody need a Bible? Okay, right there. Keep your hand up. They'll bring you one. Titus chapter 2, some practical teaching going through the Word of God. We're going to do the whole chapter today. Um, Are you there? Say amen. Amen. Good to see you. If you're visiting today, we just want to welcome you. And also just to remind you that uh, October 31st is coming up. And that's a day that we, we seize the moment to go out and reach the community for Jesus Christ. So we set up booze out there in the parking lot. And uh, we cook food, and we have game booths, and we give out tracts and Bibles, and uh, we give out the gospel, we give free food, free candy, it's just all free. And this is kind of like the center for all Kilauea to come through on Halloween, so it's a great time to witness for Jesus Christ on one of the darkest nights in the world. And so uh, we would love you to get involved with us to help with cleanup or cooking food or setting up, prepping food or game booths, whatever. So keep that in mind. Think about that. Come see me or Pastor David or Chauncey and we'll get you plugged into that because it's going to come really fast. So it's usually a big outreach and, uh, and people get saved on that night. So I think that's important. Amen. OK, tell me, Amen, if you're there for chapter two. OK, let's read the chapter first here. I'm going to read from uh, the New King James because it, is this a little bit hot? David, maybe turn it down just a little bit. Uh, I'm going to read from the New King James because the King James, some of the words are hard for you to understand, so I'm going to just make it easy for you. Um, But as for you, Paul says, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. And the older women or the aged women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bond servants, that's employees, to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special or peculiar people zealous for good works speak these things exhort and rebuke with all authority let no one despise you father we thank you Uh, for this portion of Scripture, very instructional, very practical, Lord. And we pray that you would just just melt it into our hearts, Lord God, that we would understand that by your grace, you teach us to live a, a right life, a righteous life, a holy life, a pure life, Lord God. And you teach us the things that we should turn away from, worldly lust and ungodliness, And so, Lord, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you administer to everyone's heart here today. We all need to grow in the grace and knowledge of you. So bless this time. Bless us with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, Very practical portion of Scripture here. Um, I entitled the message, God's Grace. God's Grace. Uh, It's God's grace that saves us. And we all know that. And when we think of God's grace, we're always thinking basically that we're saved by grace. And grace is something that God's put out there for us. He paid the price for our sins on the cross. He offers us the gift of salvation. We are saved by grace by what He did. We did not earn our salvation. He provided it to us. And so a lot of times we think of grace as in terms of salvation. But grace actually, we learn from verse 12 that we just read, grace teaches us. Grace is teaching us. It's not only saving us, it's teaching us. So basically, right now, you're in school. Today, we're gathered together to go through the Word of God. Grace is teaching us. You are in school today, and are you taking notes? Or are you skipping class today? Are you here to spend time with Jesus? Or are you here just doing time because mom or dad dragged you here? It's something that we got to think about because, you know, a lot of times we skip class when it comes to teaching the Word of God. And there's a lot of churches today that are not teaching the Word of God. They're giving kind of sugar-coated, flowery messages, which are nice, and they encourage people, but it really hurts the body of Christ when you don't get them through the Word of God. There's an importance of teaching the whole counsel of God because that is God's grace for us. That we know His Word. So His grace not only saves us, His grace teaches us, and His grace causes us to look forward to the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you looking for His appearing? Well, I'll tell you what, if you're abiding in Christ and you're doing what Jesus is asking you to do, you're looking every day for Him to show up. But I'll tell you what, sometimes Christians can get caught up in a sinful lifestyle and they're not really looking for Jesus to show up because they don't want Him to show up and find them doing something they shouldn't do. And so God really wants us to turn our hearts around towards Him. He wants, to pure, he wants us to purify ourselves because He is pure. He wants us to be holy because He is holy. He didn't save you by grace so you could continue in sin. God forbid but a true transformed life is evidence of somebody that's given their life for Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had a cold last week. I'm better now, but I'm going to drink some water. Okay. So Paul's revealing us to us today, as he says there in the first verse, that you speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Now, when we think of sound doctrine, many times we think of big words like eschatology, the doctrine of end times, or numerology, the doctrine of numbers, or soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, or the hyperstatic union of Christ, which is the doctrine of Jesus being fully man, fully God. But we don't think about what we just read as doctrine, but it is, and it's practical. It's just, this is good instructions for old men, older women. Uh, younger men, younger women, practical instructions, how to live our lives pleasing to the Lord, what He wants from us, what He wants us to turn away from. And this is, this is an equation here. This is a, 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 a portion of Scripture that's really going to help you to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to grow. God's changing us from glory to glory. None of us have graduated yet. We won't graduate until we stand in His presence. Right now, he's changing you, and so we're going to school. We're not skipping school. It's important that we come to school. It's it, you know, and I think it's so important that that we come to church because listen, what what is there like 168 hours in a week? Okay, um, I'm guessing, and you know, to come and spend an hour with the Lord is nothing. And I think, you know, and I'm going to say this. I know, I know I'm going to offend, but i got to say it because it's true. Um, what really disturbs me when I see Christian families that sacrifice church because their kids got sports. And I know that's offensive, but i just got to be honest with you. I, I, I encourage you to stand up to the coach and say, my kid's not coming on Sunday to play a game. We go to church. And, you know, I'll tell you what, if you all did that, they wouldn't be scheduling games on Sunday. And, and, you know, the, the, and this is why I say this. Just hear me out. I love you guys. But it's like when you, when you sacrifice church to take your kids to sports, what you're teaching your children is sports are now more important than God. And what you're teaching your children is that there's other things that are more important than God. You know, we, we, we do this, but, you know, hey, we're going to skip this week. You want to teach your children because you only have them for a short time. I mean, 18 years goes by fast. I know it might seem really long right now, but trust me, we've, we, it goes by fast. And you want to instill these things into your kids to where they know Sundays we go to church. Sundays we go to school to learn more about the Lord and to be strong in the Lord. You don't want to, you don't want to teach your children that, that Jesus is something that we kind of do if there's nothing else to do. Does that make sense? Everybody's staring at me like, I don't know about that. Okay. So these are good, practical things to teach our children the importance of growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, the importance of reading the Bible. Get yourself on a reading program. Even if you're only doing one chapter a day, hey, start banging out those chapters one chapter a day. It's going to be doing a world of good for you. So he says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine that the aged men, the older men, be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in the faith, in love, and in patience. That's good instructions for us older guys. What's older guys? It tells us to be sober. That means it's, it's, to, be, uh, it's to be showing wisdom, be, to be level-headed, to be vigilant, to have some evidence that I'm a believer, that people can look at me and they say, you know what, that guy's a Christian, I can tell. It also talks about us being reverent or grave, which is being serious about what we believe in. That we are to be temperate, which means self-controlled. We we don't go around. We don't blow up at people. We don't go off on people. We're not cursing at people. We're not punching people in the face. Uh, we have self-control. We're supposed to be sound in the faith. Uh, As older guys in the Bible, knowing the Lord for a long time, we want to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. We want to have a good handle of what the Word of God is saying. And, you know, also we want to extend that love that God has extended to us to show love towards one another and to be patient. Older men, you need to be patient with the younger guys. You need to be patient with the younger families. You need to have that same patience that God had for you and now show it for others. It's important to do that. You know, the one thing I love about older men in the the Lord, I really miss when Calvary Chapel used to do a senior pastor's conference every year at Marietta in California. I miss 900 senior pastors all on their face praying in the same direction. Powerful. I miss that. Because one of the things I used to do is I, you know, When I first started going to those things, I would go find me some guy that had been with the Lord for 50, 60 years. And I wanted to sit down next to that guy and I wanted to hear what he had to say about Jesus. And there's so much wisdom in that. There's nothing better than an older man to come and put his hand on the shoulder of a younger man and instruct him in the ways of the Lord. It's good stuff. He talks about the aged women in verse uh, 2 here or verse 3. That the aged women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, (laughs) that the word of God may not be blasphemed. I was telling um, security earlier that when I get to this part, be ready for some woman charging the stage. um, Mentioning be obedient unto their husbands. Um, These are God's words. This is not for you to pick and choose what you want to do. And it's the same for the men. Husbands love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Hello, not a suggestion. So now he talks about aged women. King James says aged women. Um, I don't really like to say that. Um, We don't say that today. We just say older, more mature, beautiful, seasoned women. Because, you know, when this was written... It was, you know, it was back in a day where women really didn't live to be past 40, you know, and they'd be like 40, 41, 42 was the life expectancy, and they looked beat up by then. But you know what? That's not the case today. I mean, I was just looking at a picture this week of Sophia Loren. She's 88. Have you seen her lately? She looks great. She's 88. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's just, you know, things are different now. You guys look great women um so he talks to you older aged women that you need to have a behavior that's becoming of the lord that you're supposed to have a behavior that becometh holiness that you have a reverent behavior that you live your life like it's given to the lord and that's what's so important with an older woman is that she lives her life like she's living it completely to the Lord because, you know, there's nothing worse than an old, cranky woman whose stuff's just... I'm going to try to move through this fast so I don't get in trouble. (laughs) But, you know, stuff's flowing out of their mouth, right? You know, I mean, you ever get around one of those old women that, you know, they're just like, you know, they got the drink in one hand, the cigarette in the other hand, and just cuss words coming out and everything. You're going, man, what a shame. She never grew up, right? Let's move on. <laughs> not false accusers. Not slanderers. She's not a gossiper. The word that's actually being used here is diabolos, which speaks of the devil. She's not to have a devil tongue. Got quiet in here. I'll tell you what, social media has been the worst thing for blowing people up. And, and you know, and God's telling these, these young women and these older women to, to watch your mouth. That gossip is a sin. To not just go on social media because you heard from somebody without any facts and then you're blowing up somebody and it's completely wrong and then their reputation is ruined because nobody's filtering anything. Just keep your mouth shut and pray for them. God doesn't want us slandering one another. He doesn't want it for the men. He doesn't want it for the women. So this is, this is good stuff. And then he says, uh, not given to much wine. You can do whatever you want with that one. Um, teachers of good things. Teachers of good things. He says sober. That means to have wisdom, to behave wisely. To teach the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children this is so important to teach the younger women to love their husbands now the reason this is so important is because God loves marriage and God has an order in marriage and so when he tells us to do these things it's because it's important to him He says, Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That is not a suggestion. That is a commandment. Wives, submit yourself unto your your husband as unto the Lord. That is not a suggestion. That's a commandment of God. And so he, he brings this back up here, but he does something really interesting here. He says, Love your husbands and love your children, but he doesn't use the word agape. And if you guys know that agape is the, the deepest word for love. It's God, God agapes you. We agape the Lord. We are supposed to agape one another. Phileo is a brotherly love, a friendship love. But agape is the most deepest love. But he doesn't say that here. He says, he says phileo your husbands and phileo your children. The words he actually uses here for love your husband and love your children is philandros and fill in technon. and it's a brotherly love, it's a fond love, it's a friendship love, so he says, teach the younger women, check this out, to be fond of their husbands and fond of their children, not agape, but fond a friendship, why? Because it's easy to say, I agape my husband, but I can't stand him, but I agape him, Right? I got God's love for him, but he ain't got my love. It's easy to do that. And here, God doesn't let you get out of that. So he says, you know, you just can't have agape love for him and and not have your love for him. You need to be fond of your husband and you need to be fond of your children. This is really practical stuff, isn't it? So in uh, verse 5, he says to be discreet. To be discreet. Um Yeah, that's it. Gosh. I, I this is for men too. It's not just women. We gotta be discreet, not just in what you say, but in what you do. Right? And and I want to take it even one step farther, how you dress. Um you know, I look at some of these young men today, and they walk around. I don't know if you see them, but they wear their pants down around their knees, you know, and their underwear's hanging out, and they're, you know, walking around like this. And God forbid there's an emergency you got to make a run for because they'd never make it, right? And you just want to go by them, and you want to say, hey, pull up your pants, you know what I mean? Be discreet. But then I also see that, you know, we live in a culture in Hawaii where um, we're, we're ocean people, we're all down at the beach and there's a lot of skin showing down there. And there's a lot of challenges for the young ladies and the young men's of this church and others that you go down to the beach and the girls are laying out and the you know, you you know, you're looking at all these guys coming out of the water from surfing, a bunch of saltwater tarzans all chiseled and you know, golden brown and you know, they got the six pack of abs, you know. Remember those days, guys, the six pack of abs? Yeah, we don't got that. I brought the keg now. But it's a real challenge for women. But it's also a challenge for the young men when they look at the women and, and these bathing suits today. I mean, they're really nothing. You know what I'm saying? And, and I just want to say with that in, in mind, leave a little mystery, girls. Leave a little mystery for the guy that you want to marry because, you know, wearing dental floss and bottle caps isn't pulling it off. It's not really showing... Uh, you know, I mean, there's no mystery there. You, you want to be able, you, here's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming off of a fever, so, you know, I just, stuff's coming out right now. Just bear with me right now. I'm working on it here. Um, but here's what I want to say, young girls. You want a man to fall in love with you for who you are. You don't want Him to fall in love with you for your body. You want your body to be a special gift to Him the night of your marriage. And you want Him to fall in love with who you are. And so uh, we want to be discreet. It says there in um, verse 5, to be chaste. So so that also speaks of um, a purity. That we want to have a purity. It says keepers of the home. It speaks of homemakers. Now, you know, I, I remember growing up that, um, you know, when, when families would apply for a, a, a mortgage or something like that or, or whatever, you fill out those forms, and, and the wife would put down homemaker, uh, people kind of looked down on that like, you know, she's really not doing anything. You know, she's just a homemaker, you know. It's like, are you kidding me? That is like the heaviest job of all. Amen. I mean, think about it. I'll tell you what. We had five kids in our house. It was easier to go to work than to stay home and take care of the kids. And so, you know, I give it up to my wife. Yeah. And it's not like I'm in trouble and I'm trying to get points right now. But I'll tell you what, here's the thing. Moms are not only moms, they're a wife, they're a homemaker, they're a chef they're they're uh, you know limo drivers, they're nurses, they're housekeepers, they're bookkeepers. I mean, you look at all that, you ladies that are staying home with the kids, you should be making about three hundred and fifty grand a year. Amen. I mean. I'm just trying to say that homemakers are going to be getting all the rewards in heaven because they're the ones that are behind the scenes doing all this stuff. I mean, as a, as a mom, you, you, never can, you never can punch out on the clock. Now, I understand that there's a lot of women that work. I get that, and I understand that you have to. I get that. But don't do it at the expense of your family. God puts a very importance on the family and an importance for the mom to be that nurturing one. You know, it's, it's it's guys are a little bit different. They're supposed to be in there helping with you don't get me wrong, but there's a difference between a mom and a dad to where the mom's more loving and nurturing, more compassionate, you know. I mean, when my kids woke up in the middle of the night sick, I would just say go drink some NyQuil, go to bed. My wife would get up with them. That's what I'm trying to say, there's a difference. And so, Mom, you play an important role. And we're just going to keep going here. Um, you're to be good. Gosh, I'm just walking to another minefield. And obedient to your husbands. <laughs> <sighs> um, and, and you know why it says that? It says that so that the Word of God may not be blasphemed. That's why you do all those things. That's why you're discreet. That's why you're loving. That's why you're, you're, you're pure. That's why you're a homemaker. That's why you're obedient unto your husbands, that the word of God would not be blasphemed. See, God puts an order in the house, in the marriage. The husband's the head of the house. He's a godly man, but he's not a dictator. And, and the woman is submitting herself unto, unto him as unto the Lord. And it's, it's, not, it's, it's not a power thing. It's just the way God set it up to bless the home. If a husband is really loving his wife like Christ loved the church, she's not going to have any problem showing him respect. She's not going to have any problem submitting herself unto him. She's not going to have any problem being obedient unto him because she knows that with everything they talk about, he goes to the Lord in prayer and the Lord gives him an answer and he comes back and they make a decision based on what the Lord's telling them. Now that may be what you suggested, ladies. It may not be. Are you okay with that? He might come back and say, "You know what? The Lord told me you're right, honey. Let's do it your way. That's great." But he might come back and say, "You know what? The Lord's telling me it's different. We're not doing that way." Are you okay with that? Because see here's there's nothing worse than when a wife is in rebellion to God's word and the way she treats her husband. You know, it, it, it's some it, it's 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 discouraging and and it looks bad even to people around who who maybe don't like the idea that you're a Christian and they're not and that you've shared the love of God with them and they're always looking to find fault in you. And so when, when they see you wagging your finger at your husband and calling him names and, and mistreating him and not showing any respect, that gives them ammo against God and against Christianity. Now, if, if you have to act like that towards your husband... I'm going to have a little talk with your husband because it's probably got something to do with him. But, um, you know, because I think this obedience to your husband, really, the responsibility lays on us, guys. It really does. Because if we're loving her like we're supposed to be, she's not going to have any problem. And so if you, if you come to me and you say, you know, my wife doesn't respect me, she's not submitting to me, she's not doing this and that, I'm going to be having a talk with you. Because you're probably the problem. It's very rarely that it's just a, a wife that's gone unhinged and, and she's going off. It's usually the root of the problem. It is the husband. And I will have a serious talk with you. Now, it, with that all said, I, <laughs> remember this. Men, love your husbands. Love your... <laughs> whoa. T- I'm getting over a fever. All right? Okay. this is not one of those kinds of churches. We believe in marriage between a man and a woman. That's it. OK. Husbands. love your wives. Like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You are to d- that is a command. And ladies, submit yourself to your husband as unto the Lord. That is a command. And I say that because a lot of times I hear, well, I would submit when he starts loving me. Or I would love her if she started submitting. No, it's it's not an option. You stick it out. You do it. It's a command of God. So, ladies, if you're frustrated with your husband, you just keep doing what God's telling you to do. God will work in him. And guys, if she's not doing what she should be doing, you just keep loving on her, and God will work on her. Trust God. He will work all that stuff out. And we do all these things so that we won't give any ammo to the unbeliever. And then in verse 6, he says this, he says, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say about you. It's so important if we men and you young men live the way you're supposed to, you will never allow the the opposite, the opponent, the, the evildoer, the unbeliever to ever have anything bad to say about you because he's got nothing on you. And that's so important in these days. And so the young men are to be moderate, they're to be sober, they're to be discreet. Young men are not to be thinking more of themselves than they should. That would solve the whole problem right there, wouldn't it, ladies? It says, a pattern of good works. When it says, young men, be a pattern of good works, it, the, the word pattern there in the Greek speaks of a model, an imprint, to cast a die, to set an example. To have gravity, to be serious, to be reverent, to have integrity, that you're someone that you do what you say. So important in these days. There's not a lot of integrity anymore. People will shake your hands and make a deal with you and turn right around and stab you in the back. Be a man, be a woman of your word. When you tell somebody I will be there, you be there. When you tell someone I will do it, you'll do it. When you tell somebody I will not do that, you will not do it. Let people know that when you tell them something, they know I know they're going to keep their word. That is so rare today. And I appreciate all the men and women in my life that are people I can talk to. I know if they tell me they're going to do something, I know they're going to do it. It's an awesome thing. We are to have sincerity. This should be a model. This should be a pattern why that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you so it says for the younger men that they're supposed to have sound speech what does that mean sound speech that cannot be condemned that means they're not going around telling dirty jokes they're not going around and cursing they have gravity they have sincerity that cannot be condemned so no one can make an accusation towards them Paul says our living testimony should be a light in this community. Do we fail? Yes, we do. Do we make mistakes? Yes, we do. Do we have recourse? Yes. But we can run into the arms of our Lord and Savior, our great God, and get forgiveness and be cleansed. That's the good news. Paul's saying this is how we should be. Here is the standard. It's real basic. It's right there. Do this. You're going to have success. And then he says in verse 9, he says, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not talking back, not pilfering, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. You want to put on this air of a Christ image in your life for all others to see. You want people to look at you and not even see you, but see Jesus. And so now he talks about servants. He talks about bond servants. Now, there was a lot of slaves in Rome. There was more slaves than there were citizens in Rome at this time. And a lot of them were, you know, mistreated, but there were a lot that weren't. There were a lot that were where they were at because they chose to be at where they are at. A bondservant was someone that says, I love my master. I want to stay with him. And, and a, lot of, a lot of slaves, they call them slaves back then. They were basically servants. They loved their job. They got paid. They didn't want to go anywhere else. And Paul referred to himself as a bondservant, which means that he was bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own; you're His. That means, yeah, one person stoked on that. I like that. Okay, all right. Thank you, Elena. Um, that means you're His. That means when He says, "Steve, do this," I do it. But what does He say here that the servant's supposed to do? Not talk back. Do you ever talk back to God? Not you. You ever do that? I I do that sometimes. I feel I feel God putting it on my heart to do something I'm like are you sure right or go talk to that person now I don't think they want me to talk to them you know what I mean you ever do that God God gives you something to do you are like is that really a good idea right now and and so he, he encourages the that these guys they 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 honor what their their employer is saying this is so important because we lot of lot of you work for others we want to be an example on the workplace, right? So he says, don't talk back, do the job. And remember this too, if you, if you work at a place where the employer says you can share Jesus, share away. But you may work somewhere where he says, I don't want you sharing Jesus during, during your work hours. you got to honor that. You took this job to do a job for him, to get paid, to do a job, represent God, be an ambassador for Christ. If he says, I don't want you sharing during, during work, don't share. you got your break time. you got lunch time to share. Okay? See, it's an opportunity to be a living testimony to that employer without even saying anything. Because you might be the only Bible that ever reads. And by your obedience and you're working 110%, not just 100%, gives him the idea that maybe this Jesus thing is not really a bad idea. And it's good. And, now, and then he goes, so don't talk back. You know, like, anybody ever talk back to their, their boss? A couple honest people. You know. Don't do it. Be a light. You can make suggestions. And he says, and don't steal. Purloining means pilfering. It's kind of like, you know, small stuff, small kind, right? You're not, you know, nobody understands what I'm saying, right? You know, it's like all those uh, pins you got from the realty company you work for at your house, those pins. Ocean Realty on it or whatever it's, uh, you know what I'm saying? You took paper, you took paper clips because, you know, you worked there and I was going to do some stuff at home and, you know, that's, that's stealing. Or, or you're, you work at a restaurant you're going to, you know, you know, I work at the restaurant. I'm going to take some food. You know, it's like, you know, the boss doesn't care. If the boss doesn't care, ask the boss if it's okay. Boss, can I have, a, can I have a, some pokey? You know, can I take, it you know, looks like you're going to throw this stuff out. Can I take that home? You know what I'm saying? Can I have a couple of pins to take home? Can I borrow some paper to take, you know? I mean, he says don't steal. No pilfering, no petty theft that you would have good fidelity. In other words, that you would be in step with those whom you're serving. Why? So that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. That's good stuff. So he tells us the aged men to do these things. He tells the aged women to do these things. He tells the young men and the young women to do these things. He tells the employees to act a certain way so that the Word of God would not be blasphemed. Now... Do I measure up in all these things? Well, you can just ask my wife. (laughs) She's the luckiest woman in the world. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I don't measure up at all. But I can say, like Spurgeon said, that I'm I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I used to be, and I'm not what I'm going to be. I'm a work in progress. These are the standards that we can live by in the most corrupted world. These are healthy teachings that should affect the way we live. These are the standards. Don't just say, that's the way I am. Stop that. No, that's the way you were. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be transformed. God is changing you from glory to glory, and that will not stop until you're in His presence. You are in school today. Some of you might feel like you're in second grade like me. Maybe you've graduated to 10th grade, but you have not graduated. You will not graduate till you're standing face-to-face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then you have graduated. But until then, we're a work in progress, and we should be striving for excellence to run that race and to finish it well. So let's wrap up the rest of this. It says, verse 11 through 15, "...for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, in this present age." looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own peculiar or special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. That is good stuff right there. Wow, that is powerful stuff. Here Paul is defining his statement on what grace is, how grace instructs us. We always think of the grace of God as just saving us, but the grace of God teaches us. It says there in verse 11 that the grace of God has appeared to all men. The tense is once and for all. Jesus came and died once and for all, that the grace of God is supplying a way for all men to be saved. It is not saying that all men will be saved. It is saying that all men are savable. That God has done the work. And all men are savable if they would humble themselves and come and confess their sin before the Lord and ask Jesus Christ to save them. The fact that it is grace means that you and I bring nothing to the table. Isaiah tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our best compared to Jesus, our best, is like filthy rags. Now you can sit here today and say, you know, I'm a good person, I help people. And you may be. And on the outside, we may look at you and say, I can't see any fault in you. But inside, I know that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. I know that inside, you could be harboring bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred towards someone. You could be lusting, having impure thoughts. And that's why we need Jesus too. Because Jesus came saying, you know, he, he said the Ten Commandments, I get that. You know, you guys are trying to follow that. But the problem is it's the sins of the heart is what Jesus told us. It's the stuff that happens in here. When you got saved, God got all that junk out of the way, remember? He got all that stuff that everybody else looks out. And then I was like, I'm doing pretty good. And then he just backs up this truck of stuff from my heart. He goes, now I'll work on that. I'm like, are you kidding me? I didn't know this stuff was sin. You ever felt like that? When God starts showing you the sins of your heart, your bitterness, your unforgiveness, your hatred, you know, and then you try to blow it off because you're a Christian, like, oh, yeah, I don't really hate them, but I wouldn't mind if God took them off the planet, but you know, you know what I'm saying? And you got to be real with God. You can't, you know, because I know, you know, you have this head smart. I'm supposed to pray for my enemies, and you're like, oh, Lord, I just pray for them. I just love them. I just want the best for them, Lord. Oh, Lord, just do a a wonderful work of them. And God's like going, Steve, what are you doing? I go, I'm praying for my enemies. He'll go, you don't love them. You hate them. You see, I'm trying to tell you, be real with God. Because i got to be real with God. I can't come and go, you know, I just love love Joe. Man, you know, he he ripped me off from my job. He wrecked my car, you know. And I just pray, bless you. And God's like, who are you talking about? You don't love him. All right, let's be real. I hate his guts. I don't ever want to see him again. I wouldn't mind if you took him home. But I know I'm supposed to pray. And so I'm, I'm, I'm doing what you're telling me. I don't like it, but I'm doing it. And you know what starts happening? The more I start praying, that, that after a while I start going, you know, I really don't hate him. And I, and I just want to pray for growth in his life. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm praying, I really do love the guy. And I just want to see him get the victory in his life. And then, and then your whole heart starts to change because you're willing to do what God's telling you to do. But I'm just telling you, when you pray to God, be real with him. Don't, Because he, he sees right through, right? He knows if you're sincere or not. And so he says here that God's grace has appeared to all men. That means you can't bring anything to the table. We are saved by His grace. Revelation 22:17 17 says, Whosoever is thirsty, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Jesus Christ is the water of life. You need to take what He's offering and drink freely. That word freely in the Greek means undeservedly that means you don't deserve what he is offering you he is showing you his grace and he is showing you mercy you're not getting what you do deserve so come to him humbly say Lord forgive me of my sins save me I believe what you did on the cross for me Happen. I believe he rose on the third day come into my life and receive that gift that he is offering to you and then the Bible will tell us in Matthew that blessed are those who are poor in spirit blessed are those that mourn blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of God what happens when your life gets transformed is because you become spiritually bankrupt Blessed are the poor in spirit. When you realize you got nothing to bring to the table, you're at wit's end. God's the answer. What it does is you become spiritually bankrupt, and next thing you know, blessed are them that mourn. You start crying out to God. God, you're the only way. You're the way, the truth, and life. Save me now. And when you do that, then you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because now you're entering, entering into His kingdom. Into this blessed holy family. That he has made possible for you to be part of. And so his first statement in verse 11 is to all mankind. God's done the work. All men are saveable if they come to Jesus. But then verse 12 speaks to us that the grace of God is teaching us. Grace is not just something that you take for granted. It's not something you just say, oh, well, I'm saved. I'm going to do whatever I want. No, that's not a a sincere transformation. Your sin should should make you upset. You should not be comfortable in your sin. If you are comfortable in your sin, I've got to say, I'm going to question whether you're really his or not. So this first statement is to mankind. The second one is telling us that grace teaches us, but grace is not to be used as an excuse to sin. Grace teaches us. It gives us information. But it also reproves us. It chastens us. It encourages us. It's not an excuse to live however you want. Paul is teaching us that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ should teach us to live godly. So verse 12 tells us that God's grace is teaching us every single day. Every single day. And God, what is God's grace teaching us? To deny ungodliness and worldly lust. So in other words, what you watch, what you listen, make sure it's the right thing. And anything you do or anyone you hang out with, make sure it's the right thing. Because if what you're watching and what you're listening to and, and anyone you hang out with or anything that you're doing causes you to live ungodly, he says deny it. Deny it. The grace of God teaches us to live soberly. That means it deals with self. It teaches us to live soberly. The grace of God teaches us to live righteously. That's your relationship with fellow man. The grace of God teaches you to live godly. That's your relationship with God. So the grace of God corrects our relationship with self, with others, and with God. So if you allow verse 12 to teach you by God's grace and let verse 12 work in your life, then you will be looking for the glorious appearing, that blessed hope of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You'll be looking for Him to be coming in the clouds every single day. Because you know that today could be the last day. He could come today. What is He going to find you doing? He is our blessed hope. The grace of God teaches you that He is the blessed hope. It's not a blessed hope like, um, you know, I hope He comes. It's a blessed hope that I know He's coming. And, and we're looking for His glorious appearing. And that doesn't mean that His appearing is going to be glorious, though it will be. That means that He's going to appear in all His glory. Which is going to make His glorious appearing appearing even greater because we're going to see Him in all of His glory. And so when you look at verse um, 13 there, and uh, it says, Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. um, I just want to point out to you that this would be a verse that the Jehovah Witness will, will use to take away the deity of Jesus Christ. Because they don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. They believe that only the Father is God and that Jesus is not the God. And they use this verse to take away the deity of Christ because it says there, uh, looking for that that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to prove that wrong to you. Because the Bible tells us Jesus is God. The Bible tells us that he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. The Bible tells us that the word Jesus Christ was with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that he was with God and was God. So we got all that evidence here. But there's a, there's, when you look at this verse and you break it down that Jesus Christ is our blessed hope and he is God and Savior, Jesus Christ, you got to understand that there's a Gransville Sharp rule When it comes to this phrase here, and the Granville Sharp rule in the Greek text tells you this, that whenever you have a phrase and there's a definite article in the beginning of the phrase, and then the second half of the phrase is joined together with and or chi, that the second half of the phrase is identifying the first part of the phrase, the definite article proving that that's what it is. In other words, in English, it's just saying God is our Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know, I thought that was cool. <laughs> and in verse 14, it says, He who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own peculiar our special people, zealous for good works. What is he saying there he says because Jesus has made you his prize did you know that that's how special you are you are so special that Jesus laid his life down for you you are so special you are a personal prize for him you are his jewels and his crown Malachi tells us that we would be zealous for good works remember before Jesus you weren't really zealous for good works. Now you're born again. Now you're saved. And you're, you come to church you say, what can I do? How can I help? You never did that before. Before it was like, I don't want to help. I don't want to do anything. But now you're a new person. You've changed. And then he says in verse 15, speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. He's saying, teach these things that we talked about today. And if you have to exhort, exhort. If you have to rebuke, rebuke. In other words, he's saying everything that we just talked about today, don't let anybody squirm out of it. Don't let anybody say, you know, well, yeah, I know what it says, but no, you can't get away with that. You can't squirm out of this. In other words, don't let any believer get away with living in ungodliness and worldly lusts. Don't do it. Don't let any man try to squirm out of what we just taught. Why? Because there's no other way to be saved. There's only one way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way. There's one way. There's not many ways to heaven, guys. Do you know that? Because that's what the world teaches. That's what the, the New Agers teach. There's, oh, all roads lead to God. Okay, but what do you do once you get there? Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And then he'll say, welcome into the kingdom or depart from me. I never knew you. There is only one way. You need to understand it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Buddha said he knew a way. Krishna said he saw a way. Jesus said, I am the way. No man comes to the Father except through me. Buddha is dead in the tomb. Hindu, Hindu, Krishna, he's dead in the tomb. Muhammad is dead in the tomb. Grant is still in his tomb. The tomb in Israel is empty. Jesus has risen from the dead, never to die again. He paid for your sins on the cross. He paid the penalty. He's offering you a gift. Take the gift. He rose on the third day. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. So why is everything we're talking about here today so important? Because our God is coming back at any moment. And where will He find you? And what will He find you doing? Will you be doing God things? You know, you want to... Okay, I'll close with this, but... I want to tell you something that could be really cool or it's really creepy. And that's the fact that Jesus dwells in you and that everywhere you go he goes that is super cool or could make you very uneasy like if you're a Christian and you're going to go buy drugs it's not like Jesus is waiting in the car for you to come out of the dealer's house You're taking him right in there with you. If you're sleeping with somebody you're not married to, it's not like you're, hey Jesus, just wait out here in the living room. I'll be right back in a minute. He's not waiting out in the living room. You are bringing him right into that bed with you. And I hope that creeps you out. But think about how that grieves the Spirit. So I, this is, I, I say this because I'm hoping to implant something into your head that every time, you're just, I just pray every time that we all, all of us, I'm going to include myself, are about this sin, that we stop and think, oh, ooh, wow, Jesus dwelling in me. Jesus dwelling in me. Every time you yell at your wife, she goes storming out of the room, Jesus is going to show up and go, Wow, did you just yell at your wife like that? And you'll be like, Well, you heard that? Yeah, oh, I was right there. Let's change our thinking, amen. Let's understand the grace of God. That His grace is so amazing that it not only saves us, but it teaches us. It, it rebukes us. It chastens us. It exhorts us. It encourages us. It's growing us in the grace of knowledge. His grace is keeping us. His grace is teaching us to be excited about the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Savior, our God, Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, to realize that we don't even understand the depths of His grace because His grace is going to be revealed throughout all eternity. You are going to get to heaven. You know, sometimes I hear people tell me, Is heaven going to be boring? I'm like, are you stupid? heaven is not going to be boring. If you can have any excitement here, it is nothing compared to heaven. This is like a day in hell compared to heaven. Heaven is going to be mind-blowing. God is going to be revealing his grace from glory to glory throughout all eternity. Every day he's going to blow your mind and you're going to go, it can't get any better than this. And then the next day he's going to do something. You go, wow, I never saw that coming. You'll be there for 10,000 years. Maybe you skip dinner. You're hanging out with Moses, having a chat about the good old and somebody walks by and says dinner was great and you say what did you have they said I never had it before it was amazing that's God's grace I am so looking forward to eternity of him just blowing our minds day after day after day after day all right (laughs) let's pray father thank you thank you so much for your patience with us Lord I know you didn't get the best thing when you got me but I so appreciate you that you would be willing to use us Lord God that you would take the foolish things of the world and confound the wise that though the whole world may have looked down on us that you by the power of the holy spirit in us caused the world to shake their head and go what is happening that person is so different lord we thank you for your grace oh lord you've shown us so much grace so much mercy lord lord i pray that you would help us that we'd all be crying out in our heart right now fill us afresh with your spirit and give us the strength to live for You, to be an example, an ambassador for Christ, that we would let our light shine so bright that when men would see our good works, they would glorify You and not us. And Lord, only You can do that. So fill everyone to the brim, to overflowing with the Holy Spirit as they get ready to depart out into the mission field, Lord God, and let us go in the power and the strength and the grace of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Him right now. Don't leave here without Him. You don't know what might happen today. You don't know what's in store for you. You may be young saying, I'll live forever, but you don't know. But you can put your eternity in place today. You can know for sure today that today's the day you gave your life to Jesus and that if anything happened to you this day, you would be with Him immediately in paradise. And if that's you right now, pray this in your heart. Jesus, forgive me. I've sinned against you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you are providing a way that you you not only died for my sins, but you rose on the third day and you're seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father. I believe you're the only way to salvation and so I give my life to you right now and ask you to save me in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that with every head bowed and Eyes closed. Just raise your hand if you just prayed that in your heart. That today's the day of your salvation. God bless you. Anyone else? Praise God. Anybody else? Don't be shy. This is eternity at stake. Is today the day you say, Jesus, I'm yours? And maybe for the rest of us, we just need some strength. I know you guys are up against all kinds of things in this world today. It's a nutty world. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys.